few months ago, I was asked if I would be willing to be a head server during Mass. Sure, I said, but I don't know anything about it. Don't worry, they assured me. It's easy, and we'll make sure you know exactly what to do. So I showed up one Saturday, and within minutes, I realized that this was a training that obsessed over details. I was never in the military, but this felt like the meticulous particulars that they go over in boot camp. They showed me how to carefully fold the corporal, the cloth on which the Eucharist sits on top of the altar, how to properly kneel when taking the Blessed Sacrament out of the tabernacle and putting it back in. It went like this, kneel, put the key in, kneel, turn the key, kneel, open the door of the tabernacle, kneel, and remove the ciborium filled with consecrated hosts. I learned how to ring the bells during the consecration of the Eucharist, how to properly dispose of the water for hand washing, and where to put the purificators used for cleaning the ciborium and the chalice. That day, I learned a whole new set of vocabulary on top of the most meticulous details. Then they said, Hey, we want you to serve at the 10.30 a.m. Mass tomorrow, our parish's most attended Mass. What? I said. You're not going to give me at least some practice in the weekday Masses? That first Mass, I was so nervous. Now, I had been a pastor for years, and I had never been more nervous in a church setting than assisting our priest with the Mass. I, I was so used to being casual, but this was akin to the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. So precise, so holy, so reverent. Why? Because everything centers around the understanding that the bread and wine aren't just bread and wine, but that they become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. And just in case you're new here, my background includes 39 years of Protestant circles, including 11 years of pastoral ministry. At the age of 41, I came home to the Catholic Church. In our regular episodes about specific Catholic doctrine, we've been focusing on the Eucharist. In fact, this is the fifth episode about the sacrament of the Eucharist. This podcast has a purposeful progression, so I'd recommend that you start at episode one and work your way through it. However, if you'd just like to listen to the five episodes about the Eucharist, the series begins with episodes nine and ten, and then skips to episodes fourteen and fifteen. This will be the last episode on the Eucharist for the time being, before moving on to the sacrament of baptism. Now let me go back to that head server training session. In addition to the specific details, I was also trained on the what-ifs, the worst-case scenarios. For example, what if the Eucharist falls on the floor? I was told to eat it, lay a special cloth called a purificator down on the floor, make sure no one stepped in that spot, and afterwards wash the floor and put the purificator in a special bin for sacred cloths that would later be hand-washed. I was also to ensure everyone consumed the Eucharist there in front of the church before returning to their seats. If I saw anyone try to walk back with the host, I was in no uncertain terms to go and stop them, ask them to consume it, and if they wouldn't, I was to take the Eucharist out of their hands and consume it for them. This was a lot of pressure. This was also so different than my upbringing. As I've mentioned before, we thought of the bread and wine in communion as a symbol. It wasn't uncommon to find crumbs on the floor or to discard communion cups that still had a little wine or grape juice in it. 
I learned that day that the Catholic Church approaches the liturgy of communion with a whole level of consistent reverence because the Church truly believes that the bread and wine transubstantiate into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And furthermore, this notion that the Eucharist is infused with the real presence of Jesus doesn't just affect how Catholics practice communion. It affects all of Catholicism. For example, why do Catholics put so much emphasis on the beauty of the church building? The answer is because it's not just a functional meeting house or a gathering space. When the bread and wine are consecrated, it becomes the house of God. King Jesus has come into our midst, and we ought to create a place fit for a king. It is similar to how the Ark of the Covenant transformed the temple into the lovely dwelling place of God, and why the Jewish people put such emphasis on creating an ornate ark and an ornate temple. Catholic churches are often open throughout the day. You can come in and just sit and pray, and you'll find lots of people do this. Why? Because after Mass, the priest will put any of the unconsumed consecrated host in this box called the tabernacle. And staying consistent with the theology of the Eucharist, Jesus remains in the church even outside of Mass. You'll often see a candle or light above the tabernacle. That light serves as a signal that there is blessed sacrament in the tabernacle. Jesus is present with us, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the church building. The Eucharist is the reason Mass is the way it is, unlike Protestant church worship services, which often center around the music and more so the sermon, the Catholic Mass centers around the Eucharist. Everything in the Mass culminates in the consecration and distribution of the host. In fact, I've heard homilies that are one sentence long because the focus is not the homily, but the Eucharist. Without the Eucharist, there is no Mass. Before I was considering Catholicism, I had been deconstructing my church experience. It felt like going to church was missing something significant, and I was desperately trying to figure out what that something was. Why does going to church seem so bland and empty, I asked. It, it seems like I'm a spectator listening to a band or a long-winded lecture. When I realized the centrality and supernaturality of the Eucharist, I realized why my church experiences had felt so empty. We were missing the most important thing, the presence of Jesus. It changed the way I thought about going to church. In fact, I stopped using the phrase going to church because mass was so much more than going somewhere. It is uniting with Jesus in this mystical and mysterious manner of communion, hence the word communion. Early one Sunday morning, I happened across a live broadcast of a mass at St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, officiated by Pope Francis himself. I thought, oh man, how cool that I'll get to see Pope Francis lead a Mass. But as I went on, I was struck by how Pope Francis disappeared in the liturgy. It seemed no different than the Masses I attend at my local parish. And that's the point of the Mass and the Eucharist. The Eucharist becomes the personality of the Mass. It becomes the focus. Not a single pastor with a sermon or a worship team with their music, but rather the Eucharist. It is the highlight of the liturgy. If the bread and wine truly become Jesus, then it should be that way. The Eucharist also defines how we practice communion. For example, the Didache, which is one of the earliest extra-biblical texts, which some scholars date earlier than some of the New Testament books, notes that only baptized Christians should receive the Eucharist. 
That continues to be the practice of the Catholic Church today. Why? Because as Paul alludes to in 1 Corinthians, a person should only receive communion in a state of grace. If one has unrepentant sin or grudges, then they should deal with that first before taking communion. And as we'll talk about in upcoming episodes, baptism is the gateway to the other sacraments because it washes away original sin. One is not in a state of grace if they are not baptized or if they have committed mortal sins and have not received the sacrament of reconciliation. So in this example, you can see why the catechism states that the other sacraments are oriented towards and bound up in the Eucharist. Now, for a long time, the only way to receive communion was on the tongue. Today, you'll see people receive the host on the tongue as well as in the hands, and some people are adamant that you should only receive communion on the tongue. Why? Because by receiving it in the hands, we may inadvertently drop it, or crumbs may linger on our hands, and the purpose of the Eucharist is to consume all of it. Whether you think such a thing is important or trivial, understand that it's what Catholics believe about the Eucharist that drives this particular conviction. You may have heard some political news where priests and bishops excluded certain politicians from Holy Communion because of their proactive political endeavors to expand immoral acts like abortion. Why would a priest or bishop do this? The answer is because these individuals are creating scandal by flaunting reprehensible mortal sin. Because in taking the body of Christ while under grave mortal sin, these politicians are profaning the body and blood of Jesus. Whether you agree with the decision to withhold communion from these individuals or not, at least understand that once again, it is what we believe about the Eucharist that is informing these decisions. There's a metaphysics to the Eucharist as well. In the show notes, I've included a video of the 10-minute Bible Hour episode where the Protestant host, Matt Whitman, tours the Cathedral of the Madeline in Salt Lake City, Utah. In the video, Father Martin Diaz, who is leading the tour, explains the Eucharist this way. Even though we're grounded on earth, are touching heaven. So for us, the Eucharist is three events in one. So it's the Last Supper. So every Mass is the Last Supper. Every Mass is in the present moment. And every Mass is the banquet in heaven. You're saying that word is is is, with tremendous emphasis. So it is, there's only one event. There's only one sacrifice. So it's not a repetition of no, that event. It, it's, not, it's not a recollection. It's an it's atemporal not, version of that event. Right. It, it is the Last Supper. There's only one sacrifice. Okay. And it's the last, it's Jesus. Do you see my Protestant right, brain right. trying no, so to rep it? So, right. So it's, <laughs> so it's the cross. Okay. There's only, he only died once for right. all. Right. Once for all. And the, the Last Supper is the unbloody sacrifice of the cross. There is only one event. The Mass isn't a passion play or a recollection because the supernatural seeps into our world. It bends the time-space continuum. And again, I'm going to use the observant Jewish words of Leon Weisselter and put the Eucharist in its Jewish context. Quote, In the age of tradition, the past was present. It was one of the primary purposes of Jewish ritual and liturgy to abolish time and make Jews divided by history into contemporaries and those divided by geography into neighbors. In this way, the many communities of Judaism were unified into a single people and the experiences of many Jews into a single story, end quote. 
And so the Eucharist creates a metaphysical and supernatural portal by which we enter into a single event, become a single people within a single story. In the last episode on Eucharistic miracles, I referenced Eucharistic adoration, where a consecrated host is placed in a special cross called a monstrance so that it is visible to the congregation. And the congregation meditates and even worships the Eucharist. Now, I want to make something abundantly clear. Catholics worship the Blessed Sacrament, the consecrated host, the Eucharist. We are not worshiping the form of the bread. We are worshiping the divine presence of Jesus that has descended on the bread because why wouldn't you worship the presence of Jesus? And so, really, there are two conclusions, and I'm not going to omit words here. Either the Catholic Church is wrong, and if it's wrong about the fundamental doctrine of the Eucharist, then the whole religion is a house of cards. And if it is wrong today, then the entire 2,000-year teaching and practice of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is wrong, from St. Justin to St. Augustine to St. Thomas Aquinas, and so on and so forth. And if it's wrong then there's no other conclusion one can draw other than it practices idolatry by proclaiming that bread and wine have become the real presence of Jesus. But if it is right, if the bread and wine truly transubstantiate into the body and blood of Jesus, then this should be the most important doctrine. This should be really all that matters. There is a vast chasm between saying that the bread and wine become the real presence of Jesus and something less than that. When I came to believe in the Eucharist, I knew I could never go back to a church that practiced communion without acknowledging the real presence of Jesus. I wanted the real presence of Jesus, and at every Mass, I throw myself onto my knees in front of the altar and say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof but only say the words, and my soul shall be healed. For any non-Catholics listening to this, let me offer you some advice. You know, in my faith journey to Catholicism, the Eucharist was the largest and the last hurdle for me, something I talked about in episodes 4 and 11. I've worked through lots of other doctrines first because I knew that the Eucharist would be the most challenging doctrine given my background. My advice to those seeking to understand Catholicism would be to start with the Eucharist. Because here's the thing. The Catholic Church proclaims that, quote, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. The other sacraments and indeed all ecclesiastical ministries and works of the apostolate are bound up with the Eucharist and are oriented toward it, end quote. In other words, the Catholic perspective that the bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus isn't just a belief in Catholicism, it is central. To Catholicism. Let me address Catholics for a moment who deny the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. A recent Pew study showed that 70% of American Catholics do not believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And, and though I am newish to Catholicism, let me ask you bluntly, what's the point of being Catholic if you deny the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? In saying that the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is a farce, you are claiming that the whole Catholic faith is a fraud. So why associate yourself with something that's fake? What honor is there in being part of a lie? 
In these episodes about the Eucharist, I've laid out some claims. I've talked about the Jewish roots of the Eucharist and how in Judaism, liturgy wasn't just symbolic. It was sacramental, meant to tear down time and space. I've talked about the biblical case for the Eucharist and Jesus's words in John 6 and at the Last Supper, which weren't vague at all. They were explicit. I've shown how Christendom was in full agreement that the Eucharist was the real presence of Jesus. The idea that the Eucharist was anything less was an invention of the last 500 years. And lastly, I discussed Eucharistic miracles where the bread and wine literally transform into flesh and blood with independent scientists concluding that it can only be explained as a miracle. Friends, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I would urge you to think deeply about the Eucharist. Investigate it. Read what the earliest Christians had to say about the Eucharist, because we are talking about the real presence of Jesus here. And even for us that believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, it's easy to just go through the motions of Mass. But Jesus' presence with us compels us to consider the sacred and supernatural reality of the mystery of the sacrament. Jesus invades our world. He breaks down our time and space, and we become one. We enter into one story. The Eucharist is the Last Supper. It is the cross. It is the present moment, and it is the banquet of heaven. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. This concludes our mini-series on the Sacrament of the Eucharist, and next we'll be focusing on the Sacrament of Baptism. In the meantime, please take a moment to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you'd like to get the latest episode in your email inbox, you can join the Why Catholic community. Just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. And if you're an Instagram user, follow me at whycatholicpodcast. Thanks again for joining me. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic.